0: This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Powerful testimony. Back to life. It's what we celebrate this weekend. Back to life. What Jesus did. And also what we get to experience as His children. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, thank you so much for this privilege that we have to come together freely as your children, Lord, to remember the incredible sacrifice, the unthinkable lengths that you were willing to go to in order to get us back. Thank you so much for your abounding grace. Lord, I thank you that every heart will be touched today, that your word, which is for everlasting will have an amazing impact on every one of us. Thank you for helping us to even grasp what it is that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think one of the most difficult things that a parent could go through is having to deal, well, I think the most difficult thing that anybody would have to go through is to have to deal with the kidnapping of a child. I think for a parent that, lives through something like that, one can try and understand the urgency for them to get their child back, for them to do whatever is necessary in order to get their child back. Recently, I saw a documentary about a a famous kidnapping, a child that went missing in 2007. And, you know, they spoke to the parents that the child is still missing. And, uh, you know, you just get really a sense for how difficult that kind of thing must be for a parent. And, you know, God, basically his children were lured into the devil's van back in the Garden of Eden. And from that time, mankind has found themselves a slave and bound to that situation. But God because of His great love and because of who He is and because of His inherent nature, He had one thing on His mind, and that was to get His children back. Getting His children back was all that mattered, and He would go to all costs in order to see that happen. He did the unthinkable because we serve an unthinkable God. God, His ways are so different to ours. Easter is a demonstration of love and commitment and determination so powerful that it will echo for eternity. We remember this time the magnitude of Jesus' crucifixion. And it is far beyond what our limited understanding allows us to comprehend We see at Easter the lengths that God was willing to go to to save you and me from destruction. God at this time makes it clear once and for all how much it is that He loves us. You see, Easter is a lighthouse on the shores of assurance that we have And I think especially in the world that we find ourselves today, it's spiraling even further down into destruction. And there is nothing that we as man can do to save that. But there is one. There is one who has already created the victory. And so we celebrate what he has done for us today. The title, Unthinkable, is very striking. It's a strong word. It gives a sense of urgency. It's drastic. But you need to understand that drastic measures were taken in order to save your life. God gave his life to get you back. God gave his life to get you back. Unthinkable really is speaking about a human or man's incapacity of being able to grasp something with their mind. What God did was He crossed the boundaries of inconceivableness and did the unthinkable for you. He went beyond our ability to understand or imagine how passionate He is towards us. That poem that we heard during worship, just talking about the event and the nails and the blood and and all of that sacrifice, the torture, was so moving. Of course it would be moving. Because to even comprehend what Jesus went through, it kind of, it goes beyond what we can even be, uh, understand emotionally. God's ultimate love demonstration was this. You know that Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 3, he said, you know what? He gave us what the, the, the greatest display of love would be. And he said, there is no greater love than for one man to die for his friend. But do you know what God did? God died for his enemies. So he took it even further than what man was able to do. Listen to uh, this scripture. It's one that we know well in Isaiah chapter uh, 55, verses 8. It says that my thoughts, God speaking, he says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Do you know that in this particular portion of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 55, God is already revealing his salvation plan to mankind. He is calling man to salvation if you go and read that chapter. And so the verse just before verse 8, which is what we have on the screen, the verse just before that, God is actually urging man to come back to him. He says twice in the verse 7 to turn back to God and he says that he will abundantly pardon man. And then he says that my thoughts are nothing like yours and my ways are nothing like yours. So God, is he acknowledges that as a human being, we really find it difficult to accept and understand why someone or that someone would be willing to go to the lengths that God did in order to get us back, to fully forgive us and pardon us for all that we have done. He's doing that here in Isaiah 55. You see, people find it difficult to pardon. As human beings, this is a battle that we have. We are good. Humans harbor malice. They seek revenge. They are slow to forgive. It takes long to forget, if at all. But not so with God. In this scripture, in Isaiah 55, God is establishing right here that we are not the same. That he is God, and we are man, and he is greater than what we are, and his ways are greater than ours, and his thoughts are greater than ours. When it comes to his thoughts, he says that uh, uh, when we see ourselves as failures and useless, he sees us as mighty and necessary. When you see yourself in a hopeless situation, he sees victory. When you think that he is mad at you, God is thinking how much he loves you. As far as His ways are concerned, when we hit a dead end in our life, God sees a highway of escape. When you see yourself in a desert, you know what God sees? He sees you in a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the God that we serve. It would bring God no greater joy. Uh, Nothing would bring God greater joy today than for us to come to the realization that He loves us unconditionally. The purpose of Jesus' horrific and unthinkable death on this cruel cross was not for us to feel sorry for Him, but for us to realize how much God loves us, to realize how committed He is towards us. When He says that He will never leave you nor forsake you, all you have to do is look at the cross, and you, will be, and you can believe that God is faithful. If He was willing to go through that, then he is willing to stay by your side forever. Jesus' grisly death was not to shock us in the cruelty of its nature, like a gory movie. The purpose of his death was to demonstrate God's love for us. We need to understand that he took our punishment upon himself because he wanted to. We are so limited in our senses to even understand something like that, that someone is prepared to suffer for the guilty, knowing full well that there are those that will still not turn to him. The thought of someone doing that is unthinkable. To the world, the message of the cross is foolishness. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, And there are many reasons why the world would see it that way. So many people feel that they don't need a Savior. They think that they are good enough. They don't understand why someone would go to those extremes for them. I think one of the reasons would be for people to think that it's foolishness is for man to say, but who is willing to do such a thing? A parent might say, you know what, I'm willing to die for my child. Paul, you don't understand. I would do that. But are you willing to die for the kidnapper? Would you be willing to do that? Everything about Jesus, from his beginning to his end, defied our normal. He was born of a virgin. That in itself is humanly impossible. Just the way that he entered this world was different to what we know. It defied our normal. He was raised from the dead. Hallelujah for that. Amen. He was raised from the dead. That is unthinkable. For someone to be dead for four days and then, excuse me, three days, and then to be risen from the dead after his body was marred and, and ripped apart. That's the other thing. Maybe a heart attack. And we bring you back. But gee, for your body to be broken to the extent that his was and still to be risen perfectly from the dead. It's beyond our reasoning. It's beyond our thinking. Amen. And in between his beginning and the end, in between all of that, the way Jesus spoke, how he lived, how he treated people, the way he taught, it defied the world's limited realm. What he was actually willing to do to buy your freedom was beyond our capacity to love. If you've ever lost someone dear and near to you, you know the pain of losing someone that you love. But even that capacity to love here on this earth does not match God's love, it does not come near to God's love. So, why did Jesus die? Well, in Romans 5:17, it sums it up easily for us. It says, by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. Death reigned as king over humanity because of one mistake. Just coming back to the kidnapping scenario, do you think for a moment the parent whose child has been kidnapped if they find out the reason why the child was kidnapped was because they snuck out of the house to go to a party that they've been grounded from going to. Do you think the parents sit around pondering that and wondering, are they going to attempt to get their child back because they were in disobedience in the first place? No, that doesn't even matter. A parent doesn't care what the reason is. All they want is their child back. And so I'm saying that to you this morning because I want you to understand if you're here today and you're battling with the idea that God loves you and He has forgiven you for everything that you have ever done, you need to understand that that did not matter to God. What mattered was getting you back. Praise the Lord. So the world was trapped in death. A slave of death. It was powerless against it. And you know what? Very sadly, it began to revel in it. Sin had to be defeated. Death had to be defeated. And no man qualified to do it. So God came himself. He died to save the world from destruction. He was driven to do so by his unconditional love for us. He could not bear to lose us. Man's wickedness and man's rotten state of decay did not hinder him. In fact, it compelled him to do the unthinkable. John chapter 3, verse 16, here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it. You see, God never intended to punish you. His motive from the very beginning was always to save you. God didn't want a plea bargain. He was not interested in saying, all right, admit your guilt and I will lighten the sentence. With God, there were no conditions. God's desire was to give a full pardon. He was saying that I've chosen to pay the price for you so that you can go free. That is the unthinkable nature of God's love. This is one of his most amazing characteristics, to love your enemies. You understand that the world that we live in today, I think every single day there are news reports talking about how the people are doing what they can to war against other people. That's the state that the world is in today but God says no love your enemies. He says that uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5:43 when he was talking to the Pharisees he says that you have heard the law of Moses says love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You see, what Jesus was pointing out here to those people, to the Pharisees, which I think we can say represents the unsaved world. What he was pointing out to them was that they had gotten to such a state that they believed the law said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But you can go and search the Bible in the Old Testament. Nowhere does it say that you should hate your enemies. But they had crept into that state. It had come into them. The nature of man had become to such a point that they believed that hating your enemy was right. But Jesus said, no. He challenged a mindset that had developed in this world. His law never said to hate enemies. But it crept into the nature of people. And quite frankly, it suited man. It satisfied the flesh. This world is so full of hatred, so full of deceit and treachery and lies, and people are lovers of themselves, and they lust for power and control, and they desire, and it gives them pleasure to create terror in this world today. And as a result of this state that we find ourselves in, people view God's opinion of themselves through their own eyes. It's difficult for man to see that God loves them unconditionally. It's difficult for them to accept that God loves his enemies Just as much as he does those that are not his enemies. The idea of loving your enemies and doing good to those who hurt you is unthinkable. But to God, it's totally normal. It's who he is. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, but God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Do you know that in this world today, I think some of the greatest threats of war have to do with people and countries that are developing weapons that can absolutely take out as many. They want to create weapons that can kill as many people in one go as possible. Can you imagine if, the, if, if man was in control of the sun and the rain? Imagine that. Which country, if they had the control of the sun and the rain, what sort of devastation could they do? But God says that he allows his sun and his rain to go on the just and the unjust. This was before Jesus was born. This is from the beginning of the earth. Even when man sinned, God still allowed his son to fall on the just and the unjust and the rain. The two most important resources that we need on this planet today, sunlight and rain. And God's saying, my nature has always been to give to you, to bless you, to look after you. Jesus loved his enemies and he died for every single one of those Pharisees that demanded his life. Every one of those who spat on him, his demonstration of love was inconceivable. Whether you're a friend or a a foe, he gave his life for you. He unveiled God's love. He unveiled God's true nature. When sin entered man's When sin entered, man's nature changed because God's life was no longer in him. He could no longer protect man in that way. But he knew that he would be there again. He knew it was coming. And he was willing to wait, and that he did. Listen to me. As great as what man is, we could land a man on the moon, but we cannot save ourselves. You know, when God at the time of Babel in the Old Testament, when he saw that man was building this tower, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of issues with that, but they were building this tower to reach up into the heavens to be with God, not to be with him in a relationship sort of point. They didn't want to connect with him in the positive sense. They wanted to show how great they were. And God in himself acknowledged that man was able to do so much if they worked together. He said they could accomplish anything. I mean, from Babel to landing on the moon, what a huge leap, and that we have done. We have landed someone on the moon. We've gone beyond Babel. But even so, we can't save ourselves. Imagine God said when he looked down at that time in Babel and said, you know what, man, I see you are able to do anything if you work together. And he had to make a plan to, to disperse them because they were, they were using it for a wicked reason. But, but uh, can you imagine God looking down and says, okay, you guys can accomplish anything. I want you to be perfect on your own because you're so great. Can you imagine God, he'd made that decision? But even then, he knew man would never be able to save himself. He'd already made a plan. Jesus died for his enemies. Listen to this in Romans chapter seven, uh, 5, verses 7 and 8. It says, Now who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost. And ungodly, God is saying, yes, a man would be willing to die for a man if the cause was good, if the man was good. That I can give man. He said that, uh, you know, we have people that give their lives for their countries and that sort of thing. But what God is saying here in verse 10, he says, uh, in, uh, the previous verse said that he would uh, be willing to die for you even though you were his enemies. It says, so. so if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself, Uh, through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Think about that statement for a moment. God is saying, even when you were wrong, even when you were sinning, even when you were in the depths of being as far away from me as possible, I was willing to die for you. He's saying that no man would be willing to do that for you. God has done for you what no man is willing to do. Because none of us were good. We were never good enough to die for, as he summated, uh, that man would do for the other. He states the unthinkable, laying down his life for uh, for, for the very people who were his enemies and were completely undeserving of his action of love. You know, it's one thing for a president to give a convicted felon a full pardon. It's another thing for the president to adopt that person into his family. And make him an equal heir. I've never heard of such a president. I've never heard of such a president. But I have heard of God. I have heard of Jesus. And he was willing to do that. That's what he did. Not only did he give you a full pardon, but he adopted you into his family and made you an equal heir with him. Praise God for that. Look at this. Jesus' life was not taken, it was given. His life was not taken. When he was brought before Pilate in John chapter 19, Pilate looked at Jesus and he said to him, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus replied to him and said, you don't have the power to do that unless God gives it to you. Do you know what that's saying to me? Number one, he never did release him. Because it was in God's hands, he didn't want him to be released. The fact that Pilate did not release Jesus was because God was orchestrating this and he didn't want Jesus to go free because he wanted you and me. Listen what he said in John 10, 18. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I lay my my life down voluntarily. No one can do that. It was his free choice. Don't you understand that Jesus could have stopped the torture at any time? He could have stopped the torture. He could have stopped the ridicule. He could have stopped all of what was happening to him. He could have done it at any moment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his disciples as they fought back against those that came to arrest Jesus, he said, no said, so don't you understand? I can ask God to send angels right now. And he would send 12 armies to deliver us instantly. But he never did that. I saw, I saw a video last year. It was the most horrific thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was a, a video that was sent uh, from somewhere up in Africa. Uh, the caption was that, it, well, the story behind it was that these three people were being persecuted for being Christians in a village um, up in Africa, and someone in the mob with their cell phone had filmed the event, and so I watched this in absolute horror. As these people were being beaten, there was a woman and two men. They were being beaten and kicked and hit with, uh, thrown with stones. They were being set alight. They uh, uh, branches were being pulled into a ditch and the branches were set alight. The people were dragged onto that. They climbed off. They took them. They dragged them back on there again. They beat them. They kicked the men where men should not be kicked in the most horrific way. They absolutely mutilated these people. And you know, while I was watching this, my immediate uh, uh, instinct, my reaction to this inside was, if I could climb into the situation right now, I would kill every single one of those people that were doing this to these people. That was how strongly moved I was. And I can admit it to you openly, I don't think anybody who saw that would want to do anything other than that. Forgiveness was not my thought. Definitely not. I just wanted to save these people, but I didn't just want to save them. I wanted to take care of these people that were doing these unthinkable acts. Do you know that Jesus was the one that, was, that this was being done to? And he could have stopped it instantly. I'm telling you, rip one hair out of my beard, it's over. One hair. I don't have one, but if I did, one hair, it's over. You slap me. Yeah, I might turn the other cheek, but listen, I only have two cheeks, okay? <laughs> so Jesus did the unthinkable. He did the unthinkable, and it was because he was driven by his love for you and I. He demonstrated God's supreme faithfulness. Sorry, before that, he said he would, and he did. 1,500 years, even more than that, but just going back 1,500 years before this took place, Jesus said that he would be raised up on the pole just like Moses had to raise the snake up onto the pole. Back then already, God was announcing Jesus would come. That was 1,500 years before it actually happened. 1,500 years where God had at any time could have changed his mind. But he never did. He never did. For 1,500 years, he went through man and all of man's failings. And he was determined that Jesus would come. He would be raised on that pole just like he announced. And everyone that looked to him would be free would be delivered. They would live just like he promised. If God was willing to do that, why would he abandon you now? Looking at the cross is not just about what he has done for us as far as saving us is concerned, but looking at the cross demonstrates God's faithfulness to you and I. He's saying that whatever it is that you're facing in this life, I am there for you. I have proved my faithfulness over and over again. Do you know that if he had to wait millions of years, he would have done it? You see, to God, abandoning his creation is unthinkable. He can't abandon us. He's drawn to us by his love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave His only Son. That everyone who believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. God wants to save you. He has saved you. But He wants to walk with you in this life. Our salvation for an eternity in heaven is wonderful. It's quite far away, though, for many of us. Whatever you may be facing right now, this feels like it's you for the rest of your life, and it feels like it's going to be a very long time. But I want you to know that God will deliver you from that. He has proven His love and faithful to, faithfulness to you. He wants to rescue you. He wanted to trade places with you. It was God's decision to trade His righteousness for your unrighteousness. He chose to set you free. He never wanted to condemn you, and He never will. God's desire for you is to know him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom in him. He wants you to fulfill your purpose in this life. And he wants you to belong to his family. He went, he did the unthinkable. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.